Hello, this is Richard C. Wilson of the Family Office Club. Welcome to the Family Office Podcast. Today, we have with us here Will Caulfield from American Group, and we've been talking about Opportunity Zones. Welcome to the uh, podcast, Will. Thanks, Richard. Great to be here. Sure. So before we jump into Opportunity Zones, I think it might be important to give a little bit of perspective on who you are, a little bit about, about your background, and then the American Group, and kind of the, the size of the firm and, and what you guys do every day. Sure. Um, well, my name's Will Caulfield. I've been at American Group for a little under a year now. Uh, I run the marketing side of the business and sit on the investment committee and spent years in the advertising industry and residential real estate market prior to American Group, both in Chicago and actually in Florida. Not quite near you, though, Richard. I um, was on the other side in Pensacola. Um, American Group is a it's we're a family office out in Los Angeles area. Fred Hamitman, the Hamitman family, is the head of it and founder. Um, started back in 1971, and it comprises about 50 companies and corporations and partnerships, and um, has invested heavily in real estate throughout mostly California. About the charter says 80 percent, but that includes also Arizona and Washington with really great results and. So he formally founded the, uh, the family office uh, years ago. He's been vertically integrated for a long time now, working as property management and lending and leasing um, and acquisitions. And uh, we're most recently starting our newest fund, which is the 10th or 11th in these over 48 years um, because of the excitement with the Opportunity Zone program. So that's why we're excited about speaking here today with you and looking forward to the super summit in Miami to discuss this as well. Great. Yeah, for sure. We just uh, booked our 72nd out of the 75 speakers that will be on stage there. We just booked the 72nd one this morning, which is a uh, $1.6 billion multifamily office out of New York. I just met with yesterday for a few hours. So we're excited about that event as well. And thanks for that background. And uh, how many team members do you have? Uh, on the team overall. Well, here in the office, we're about 30, and overall, there's over 100 um, you know, managing specific properties. I think there's over 3,000 units, over a million square feet in industrial. Broke up for one second there, but you said he had over, over 100 team members. Is that right? That's right, over 100 team members, okay. and um, we're over, what is that, 3,000 units. Um, over our funds, there's been over 6,000 individual investors, uh, partnerships alongside Fred's family. And okay. that's uh, over a billion dollars in assets under management, primarily real estate. Okay, great. And so what do you think is, uh, you know, I know we didn't uh, plan on talking about this, but what do you think has been the secret or one of the keys or one of the pillars of the success of the American group? And what's allowed you to grow to that level? Cause there's a lot of real estate firms out there that, you know, manage 50 million, 150 million of assets, even more that are just, you know, ha have a property or two that they invest in per year and they never really get to a scalable size. What do you see as the big difference, you know, looking at others versus working inside of the American group? Um, that's a great question. I think, what has made Fred so successful is a combination of his top-down data-driven approach when he approaches new investments and is incredibly selective. And then uh, the bottoms up sort of relationship, excuse me, driven attitude that he cultivates great relationships with good operators wherever he goes. 
and I was able to leverage his knowledge about the cities and the population growth and um, look at it both from a nationwide and local perspective to go ahead of the curve and make sure that the deals he does are valuable ones and that I'm sure you've heard of the first rule of real estate is location, location, location. But for him, it's, it's never sell, never sell, never sell. And it's that long-term hold and valuable pieces of property that has shown wonders for us out here in the West. And with the Opportunity Zone program, we see it as an opportunity, no pun intended, to reach beyond the state and find opportunities in the same capacity for long-term growth throughout the contiguous 48 states. And so that's what we're doing with this, with this fund. Sure. And uh, for individuals who have heard of the words opportunity zones, but aren't exactly sure what it means, can you help explain, you know, does it protect capital gains? Does it protect ordinary income from taxes? Who does it apply to? Who does it not apply to? Uh, can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I'll try not to be too long-winded. It can be quite convoluted for, at times, but the 2017 Tax Cuts and Job Act included a new section of the tax code that provided tax incentives for investments in targeted areas in the U.S. through investment vehicles called opportunity funds. And so the purpose of the funds was to promote economic development in these select communities known as opportunity zones by offering investors tax-free, or excuse me, federal tax advantages that are only available through the program. So um, I'm sure there's different levels of familiarity with the program and to try to give a sort of medium level understanding of what it is qualitatively, it was a component of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that really the impetus behind it was that a lot of people had seen what had been an uneven economic recovery coming out of the downturn. And so the architects of the program were thinking, how can we get that money to be redeployed into underserved communities within the U.S.? And the answer they came up with was that they can provide material tax benefits. And, you know, that's typically a nice way to get people to act. So in terms of the, what is an opportunity zone, effectively, the ways that you can be eligible was a two-pronged test. Either the census tract had a 20% poverty rate or to a median income that's about 80% of the average of the area in which it sits. And then after that federal designation, the governors could each sit and designate up to 25% of their eligible tracts, their eligible census tracts in their state. So it was a sort of marriage between the federal and the power of the states um, to say what counts and what doesn't. And what's interesting here is that, that that's obviously off-putting from an investor standpoint, but and especially from us, from a fiduciary standpoint, but there's a lot of data that was used to dictate this eligibility requirements, and that came out of the 2010 census data. So one, they were being designated back in 2018. You can really think about how these tracks could transform over that eight to nine year period and how much movement there was. So for better or worse, there's been a lot of disparity with respect to what the opportunity zone might look like today compared to initially. And the governors took different approaches to how they would use that designation. <laughs> um, a good example I like to give is imagine a university where there's students making their population, um, making a large portion of the population. And what is the income level of those students? It's not much. And so right. a, a lot of governments said I can short my university towns by designating them opportunity zones to fill the bucket. So broad comment to say that that's just one example of a lot of ways and a lot of interesting places to invest within opportunity zones and what we're doing. So the way you do that is with an opportunity fund. 
and it can take different forms. There could be single asset funds, there can be multi-asset, 100 asset funds, but basically for it to be qualified as an opportunity fund, it has to have a certain percentage of quote unquote qualifying property, which either comes from what they call the substantial improvement test, which is where if you purchase a property for $1, you have to put a dollar and a cent into it to improve it. Because again, the intended of this program is that you improve these underserved areas or the quote unquote original use test, which is sort of a funny concept because how can you be the first owner of land? But the IRS has clarified that you can use that test in two ways that one, if the property has been vacant for five years or two, if you can buy a building mid construction before it's taken certificate of occupancy, you can qualify for Oz tax benefits. So there's most opportunity zone deals have been going into real estate, but there's also opportunity zone deals and opportunity zone businesses. And especially with the introduction of the third tranche of regs that's coming out this year, there should be a lot more of that too. You can think in terms of venture capital and startups for that. So that's what a zone and a fund is, but then we can talk about what the tax benefits are. So what are these tax benefits that are supposed to draw people in? And I think the best way mm -hmm. to think about it is with an example. So, and actually I should preface that Richard by saying there's two capital gains that you need to be thinking about when considering how these tax benefits work. So first is the capital gain that you've recently realized, like you're probably in stocks. So in the stock market, or if you have a nice car you've just sold or a piece of artwork, and then the second capital gain would be the potential capital gain that you could make in an opportunity zone. And so I'll explain what that means. So let's say you bought Apple stock for 100 and you sell it today for 200. You've just generated a $100 capital gain and you sort of have two options now that the zones are around. You could either one, pay that tax and reinvest what would be about $75 because of your 25% capital gains tax rate on the investment. And you could invest that $75 anywhere. But with opportunity zones, there's a f with the first benefit, you can defer the capital gains tax until December 31st, 2026. And what that means is you can invest the whole $100 principal, which is nice, accounting for the time value of money and compounding over time. And the second piece is that by holding within certain milestones, the longer one being the seven year horizon, I can reduce my tax bill by 15%. So going back to the example, if I choose opportunity zones, I'm going to pay 20, if I'm, excuse me, don't choose opportunity zones, I'm going to pay $25 tax today. But if I choose them, I'm going to pay roughly $20 of tax seven years from now. So those are the first two tax benefits and they both apply to mm -hmm. the gain that's realized today from some other investment, like we've said, stocks or you know, art or whatever. Um, now, shifting gears, when people talk about eliminating taxes, this is where we shift to the second capital gain. So the potential that you could make on your opportunity fund investment. So you took $100 and you put it into an opportunity fund and over 10 years that doubles again, let's say. So it becomes $200 and you've made a fresh capital gain of $100. Mm -hmm. If you keep your investment in an opportunity fund, then you get the most impactful benefit by far, which is that final capital gains, it, it's completely exempt from capital gains tax. So you, you completely eliminate capital gains. In other words, 100% step up in basis. Um, 
and it's really just quite remarkable. There's really nothing quite like it. And so what I'd like to end with there is that when you think about these benefits and where they're derived from, the most important benefit comes from the elimination of capital gains tax on the back end. And the only way that you get that benefit is you make a good investment decisions that actually drive capital appreciation over a 10 year period, which you know, right. brings us back to real estate and the guiding principles that make these good deals in the first place and why you need good operators, et cetera, et cetera, that people are really highlighting now. Right, right. It's not just throwing money in the, in the opportunity zone deal. It actually has to be a, a valid deal. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to have any gains to protect or it's going to lose you money. So right. it's obviously a really important point. And uh, it was interesting about this strategy is a lot of tax strategies rely upon maybe some court supported kind of holes in the tax code, but um, sometimes they're a little bit more of a gray area where this was like a tax um, benefit kind of structured on purpose for investors to take advantage of. And I've heard many tax experts say it's one of the biggest, you know, uh, changes or most advantageous tax options they've seen in their whole career, you know, over the last 30 years, so they've really encouraged their clients to get this figured out and get allocations in, you know, before a deadline. So there's time to figure out the details and do it the right way. Wow. That's quite an endorsement. Yeah. I even just saw yesterday in some article that the first tax class, university level tax class on opportunity zones was, I, th I don't know if it was Cornell was just founded this past year. So that's, that's how smart. important it is. They're teaching new CPAs right. and tax officials. Right. I bet that's a popular class because getting on top of this, I mean, I remember speaking to a law firm eight months ago and they said they had formed a team of 20 attorneys. That was their task force on opportunity zones. And then we had a big accounting tax firm, the number six largest in the world. We had Nancy from RSM speak at our Dallas private investor summit. And she was on their Opportunity Zone task force, and they have 15 professionals who are niche experts in the tax code of Opportunity Zones, just helping their 500 family office clients implement and allocate into different Opportunity Zone investments all the time. So there's a ton of activity and pretty serious, you know, um, teams within the largest of advisory organizations helping investors get into this opportunity. Yeah, and you have to think, well, why is this so hot right now? And so it's because of the benefits. Those tax benefits are so compelling. Um, and as far as they're concerned, the longer you hold, the more benefits get accrued. And with the thought from the IRS side is that what they really want is to engender a long-term capital gains, capital holds in these pockets of the country. So it's not only beneficial to the area longer term you stay in, but it's benefit to yourself because of the compounding tax-free appreciation that you earn, which effectively expires in 2046. So starting now, it's a long horizon. And uh, I think a lot of people can imagine how big that number can get. I mean, right. it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. If you think about it just from a 10-year hold, you can generate over two times, I calculate more like two and a half times the after-tax returns in an opportunity zone fund, all things the same compared to a traditional investment. That's just considering the tax benefits. It's quite a lot. Right. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, what do you think is going to be the level of activity in opportunity zones next year? Do you think a lot of people got on top of the trend this year and that activity is going to go down next year or do you think it's going to be 30 percent 50 percent larger than, than it is this year uh well you know they say that 
I think it was the Wall Street Journal just recently said that opportunity zones so far on average have only raised less than 15% of their goals. So because there's so much activity out there and there's a lot of operators that are not experienced like the larger institutional funds or like we are um, that are just taking advantage of the tax code and, you know, thinking entrepreneurially and doing something new in real estate. So there's a lot of new people out there. There's a lot of uncertainty. People have been holding out also because of the third tranche of regs that plans to come out probably next month. And when those do, it'll add a lot more certainty. And I imagine next year will be, you know, honestly, Richard, I think it'll be a lot healthier, the relationship that our investor community and sponsor community has to the concept will will kind of pan out a little bit, the, the volatility will subside, and we'll see a lot more deals actually taking place because of the, that comfort in the tr third tranche of regs. Right, right, yeah. <clears throat> Perhaps some of the entrepreneurial groups that propped up and weren't able to get things organized and make it professional enough and have a good enough strategy to differentiate themselves will kind of fall to the wayside a little bit and then the ones who have made progress will be on fund number three, fund number five, whatever of, of their opportunity zone kind of one-off funds. And they're the ones who are going to be able to raise the most capital because they're the most credible and have that track record now and have been able to execute or at the beginning, everyone was kind of looking around and figuring out who to trust. And I remember at the beginning of the year, they were saying, wow, there's so much demand. There's not nearly enough supply. Uh, and now there are a lot of people trying to provide the supply and so obviously not all of them are going to survive and do great and raise a hundred million each. A lot of them are not going to meet their minimum capital needed to get the deals done, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that being said too, I mean, there, there is some talk about an extension for that 2026 date, although we're not very confident just considering, just considering how much money potentially the IRS is giving away on the short term. Um, that they'd want to right. do it for longer it seems unlikely to us. But um, that, that kind of brings up an important point that after December 31st of 2019, that extra 5% step up in basis that many of your listeners are probably familiar with, um, it, it's no longer available to investors. So that December 31st, 2026 date is a fixed date. And after the end of this year, there's no longer seven years that we have to um, to get that five that status that gives us that five percent extra reduction in tax. So, even though it's a very small part in the overall benefit that the program affords investors, the largest part obviously being that elimination of federal capital gains tax at the ten year mark. Um, even though it's a small part, it is still some incentive and people are motivated to, if they have any capital gains within the past 180 days, get it into an opportunity fund. Now, um, it allows themselves a, basically a tax-free loan from the government of seven years. Plus, um, it gives the sponsor, whoever they've given that money to, a full 30 months to deploy that capital into a quality investment. And one of the strategies that we've held, although we go on more of a deal by deal basis, we focus on the underlying real estate first. Um, when there's confidence and trust between partners, some people prefer to give the money into a fund because they expect that within these next 30 months, there may even be some kind of slight recession. And you know, if whether that's after the election or before, um, you know, they were talking even in 2021 that the housing market, at least for single families, was going to um, 
the supply was going to grow tremendously because of retiring baby boomers selling homes, interestingly enough. Um, but whatever it is, that would be a good time to buy for some of these investors. And if you're able to, you know, get out of the market high, whatever you're in, stocks, real estate, you name it, and then put it into a fund that can deploy that capital when the market's low, you know, it's basic investing 101. It's a great thing. Sure. Sure. Makes sense. Great. Um, this is something that, you know, we've talked about maybe once or twice before in the podcast. It probably comes up a few times at every uh, event that we host. So I'm glad we were able to cover it a bit more here. Uh, where's the best place that someone could reach out to you if they have a couple more questions or some more in-depth information they wish we would have covered uh, on this interview? Well, our website's done a pretty good job of explaining it. So if they want to go to americangroup.us, that's just americangroup.us instead of .com. Uh, they, can, they can learn a lot more about the Opportunity Fund, about what we do as a family office here on the West Side. Um, and yeah, no, we're excited about seeing your event, Richard. This will be our first time stopping in for the Miami this December, and we'll be able to talk a little bit more then, too, if any of your listeners are interested in speaking with us then. Great. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you there in just a couple of weeks, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. And I appreciate all the, uh, the thoughts and insight here on the Opportunity Zone space. Likewise, Richard. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Take care. Bye.